Our very existence depends on this. Black strength. Strength that has carried us for decades, but it's undermining an important aspect of our humanity, feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses, our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to another edition of the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Black Doctor Speak is your source for vetted, accurate information on African-American health from some of the nation's top doctors and is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project. Tonight on Doc and Dean, the most important health issues facing Black Americans in 2023. Health equity, is it over? COVID-19, where is it headed? And the impact of racism on chronic diseases, asthma, heart disease, and cancer. All that and more tonight on Doc and Dean. Good evening, I am Ellis Dean, the Director of Digital Programming Production at Black Doctor and half in the Dean part of the Doc and Dean but we would not be Doc and Dean without the man himself, former NMA president and your asthma and allergy specialist, also known as Dr. Michael Lenore. Good evening, Dr. Lenore. Good evening, and let me say Happy New Year to you, Allison. Happy New Year to those people who are taking the time to listen. Very special program tonight. We're going to review some of the more important things that impacted the Black community this year. I think most of them are familiar with you, but you may not be uh, familiar with some of the detail uh, of how, where we are and what we've done and what we plan to do uh, in the health arena uh, this year. So uh, why don't we get started and start our discussion about health equity. Now, you know, Ellis, uh, health equity still is an enigma to me. I'm still not quite sure what it means. What does it mean to you? Well, I, I looked up a, a couple of definitions and they're all very fancy sounding, but basically uh, it, it boils down to Corporate America trying and, and healthcare corporations trying to make themselves feel good for passing justices by saying we're going to work harder to make things equal and fair. Now that is subjectively defined, so we have to really kind of keep a watch on what equal and fair is plays out in real life. Yeah, creeping around though is the issue of social determinants of health. Uh, we do know that social determinants do impact the African-American community probably more than any other community. That means how we live, how we eat, uh, where we get our health care, if we get it at all. But I'm a little concerned that if we use that as the definition of health equity and, and in, in terms of the process to get there, I'm very concerned that we may not uh, see many changes. Because if we're going to change poverty and access, we're going to fight racism, and all these things before we take care of people, I think that's going to be a problem. And in the area of chronic diseases, we'll talk about in, in just a minute, it's pretty clear to me that it's not just about those precursors. It's also about how we're treated once we enter the system and the whole issue of how racism plays, plays into that. And so I think uh, it started with George Flood. I'm starting to see the balloon burst though. I'm not seeing as many resources go into the uh, whole issue uh, of dealing with health equity. You know, for, for months and months, there was money for COVID money uh, to deal with uh, various aspects of chronic disease, but I don't see much of that money floating around as much. And I'm afraid we're gonna band-aid right back to the situation we were in before this all started. Well, I, I think ultimately to achieve health equity, however you define it, has to, 
value is the word. You have to see value in the people that, that are trying to achieve equity. And that value cannot just be a dollar sign. You have to see a value in their life. You have to see a value in their community thriving and surviving uh, at a higher level. And so if you don't see that value, then your health equity effort will make you feel good and you go to sleep at night and you can say, hey, look, we did this great thing for health equity, but it, it, it's not going to amount to much if you don't really see the value in the people that you're trying to assist. And so um, I, I think that that's the question. And I don't know if there's enough of these DEI programs that can make somebody see the value of a Black life. Yeah, I think sustainability uh, around the issues and and the effort to achieve health equity. It's always been a problem for me. Uh, I've seen this before. I've seen a crisis like this turn into uh, resources for a few months, maybe a few years. Um, but I just hope that we understand now how serious this problem is for the African-American community in general and that the rest of the society understands we're all in this together. Speaking about all in this together, let's, let's move on now to COVID-19 and where we are now and where we're gonna go. Uh, I'm kind of afraid where we are now is kind of in a waiting state. I don't know what we're waiting for, but I think what we're going to get is a rise in cases as people start to relax over this whole issue of vaccinations, social distancing uh, and the like. I don't see a lot of emphasis on trying to vaccinate not only adults, but certainly very little emphasis on trying to vaccinate children. I think we're a little complacent right now. What do you think? I think what we're waiting on is we're waiting for COVID to go away spontaneously and not, and nobody wants to put in the work. Everybody wants to go back to the pre-COVID days of you know, living fancy free and going to games and, and being in public without masks and not worrying about getting vaccinated. And they want to stay safe during that. I think there is a cavalier kind of attitude by many with, the, with regards to the people that are most at risk in terms of COVID, because if you're not part of that at-risk group, then it doesn't really impact you as much. And so you just kind of really, really cavalier. And then of course, there's also still the hordes of misinformation and disinformation that are being produced out there on the internet, every opportunity to jump and try to create some controversy around uh, the COVID vaccines uh, seem to be readily apparent. Even recently, with the cardiac arrest suffered by the football player on the football field, somebody tried to say that he was vaccinated a day or two before that, which was untrue, uh, was proven to be untrue, but many believed that disinformation that was out there. Yeah, yeah, yes, you know, I think that the virus also has a, a unique uh, ability uh, to appreciate uh, its ability to live. Um, what, what's, what, what I've seen forecast by the scientists is that the virus itself will mutate and some of these mutations will be very aggressive. They'll be mostly aggressive about entering the cells and transmissibility. Uh, I heard something that kind of uh, made me uh, shake my head a little bit is that the virus doesn't want you to die because if you die, then the virus has no substrate, no place to live so that it, we will reach some kind of balance between the infectivity and the degree of difficulty that people have with this virus. The virus will continue to be here, especially with the lackadaisical attitude that you just described. It also will be a problem um, because if it's, if it's out there um, and we're not getting vaccinated, not doing the social distancing things, it will reach a level where it's comfortable with its infectivity 
uh, and will be with us like the common goal. Uh, if I could add one piece of that, we're not going to take this seriously until it, the spike comes and that spike has to hit mainstream majority culture. Because if it is still infecting the elderly, if it's still affecting uh, immunocompromised and predominantly you know, low income minority communities, there's not going to be as much outcry to do something about it to, to, to make mandates or other plans in order to stem the tide. It's not until mainstream culture in this country gets impacted significantly where we'll see some, some serious change with regards to the policies around uh, COVID-19 and vaccinations. Uh, I think that leads us into the, uh, the third general concept that uh, seems to have come in, uh, at least to, to people's consciousness this year. We've always known that uh, racism was a problem in health. Uh, as it's Martin Luther King's birthday that we're doing this program, what did Martin Luther King say about health and health equity? Well, Martin Luther King said, of all the forms of inequality, injustice in health is the most shocking and the most inhuman because it often results in physical death. Yeah, so the, I think there are two, two parts of that uh, scenario. One is the role that I think uh, really kind of became a bigger, bigger concept this year is the role that racism plays in keeping Black people unhealthy. I said racism, my mother used to say, racism makes me tired, but racism also makes me sick. There are a number of conditions where uh, actually scientific peer-reviewed studies demonstrated that racism is one of those dynamics that makes people sicker with unique conditions. Uh, we'll allude to some of those as we talk about some of the progress we've made in at least three diseases on this particular program uh, and a few others on our next program. But I do think that we're starting to recognize, at least as a people, how much burden we carry uh, when we, um, when we uh, are Black in this particular society and how that feeds into our health. Yeah, I, I think ultimately what we have to, to think about is when we're ever stressed or in a, in a situation where we are having that fight or flight kind of feeling, and, and that that's really what we're talking about, that increases those stress hormones, whether, whether it's adrenaline or cortisone, that are, and it gets released into the body. Having too much of those stress hormones, those fight or flight hormones, those are protective hormones. So if you are presented with a stressful situation, but just being black in America and understanding that just yeah, sitting in, in a Starbucks, uh, sleeping in a college dorm, you know, picnicking in the park, trying to sell lemonade, all of these innocuous situations that Black people are confronted and, and just really being expected to kowtow to the white aggressor in that situation raises the overall stress level. And we're not even talking about the unjustified killing of unarmed Black people by the police. Yeah, and then, you know, the second part of that is that being Black as you enter the healthcare system, really uh, lead, leads into a couple of things. One, de decrease access to quality care. I mean, there's no question that across the country uh, in underserved communities, uh, care is either not available or quality care is not available. So that is a, that's another one of the things we have to deal with. The second thing is how the system looks at you when you enter it. The whole issue of unconscious bias, which we've talked about. How does your doctor look at you? How does your hospital look at you? How do the people that serve you in health, how do they look at you? And the third thing that I think probably to me is probably the most revealing and maybe the most tragic is that we're treated differently once we are identified with certain illnesses. 
Uh, and unless you have an idea of what the treatment ought to be, it's very likely that in many instances, regardless of your economic status, if you're black, you get treated very differently. I think those, so, so not only does the, do we carry the burden of racism, but we also carry the burden of racism into the system such that it results in poor outcomes and may be more important than what happens on the front end is what happens on the back end. And so one of the things that blackdoctor.org tries to do that we try to do at the African-American Wellness Project is to give you some of the tools that you need to deal with the system. But most importantly, what we can do with our program is let you and have you help you to recognize that unless you demand quality health, you speak up uh, for yourself and for your family, then you're not going to get the kind of care that you need. And much of that has to be selected before you're sick. And I think that those, so those two dynamics that play racism that we carry, plus racism that the system carries to us when we seek uh, help in many instances, uh, I think are things we're starting to recognize as situations that must be corrected if we're to get quality health care. Well, there, there, there's a term in psychology called cognitive dissonance. And what, what, what that basically means in layman's terms is, is when you're presented with an uncomfortable uh, psychic situation, you try to create an environment that relieves that, that discomfort. And so what mainstream America is doing is when they see black people, they cre it creates an uncomfortable situation for them because they know historically and even currently how they talk about black people and how black people have been treated. So what they do is try to create an environment that relieves themselves of that discomfort. Some of that discomfort, some of that alleviation is continuing the cycle by saying, well, you know, black people don't care about health. Black people are just disproportionately uh, predisposed to certain health conditions. So those are the kind of things to say, okay, no, we're not treating them wrong. They're just uh, disproportionately and predisposed for these health conditions. That's why they're living sicker and dying younger. Instead of really getting to the root of the problem, they're really just trying to unconsciously move it away so they don't have to feel the psychic pain that comes with the historical and current treatment of black Americans in this country. And so we really have a, a bigger issue and it falls into what we talked about earlier with health equity. It all falls underneath that umbrella and we really have to get back to seeing true value in every human life, regardless of ethnicity, because we're all part of the same race. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a very, very good interpretation of exactly what's happening. But so that people don't think that everything is going in the wrong direction, uh, let's right. talk about some diseases that uniquely impact African-Americans and some of the things that have happened around those diseases this year. Uh, let's uh, start with heart disease. I think that one of the things that gets lost in this whole COVID shuffle is the fact that heart disease is still the number one killer of African-Americans. I mean, uh, so much so that um, we, we focus on it uh, in the medicine, probably more than anything else. Uh, knowing what your blood pressure is, uh, understanding the circumstances that lead to heart attacks and strokes is still a major factor. And African-Americans still lead uh, this country uh, in terms of percentage deaths from, from heart disease. A lot of it has to do with diet and exercise, but a lot of it has to do with getting the kind of care that you need uh, to take care of it properly. Yeah, I, I think there is, you know, and, and I'm and I'm speaking, I, I operate from a model of control, but you can control, right? And so uh, while we just talked about how we cannot control 
healthcare and, and their treatment of us, what we can control is what we put in our mouths, what we put in our bodies and what we do with our bodies. And so if we really as a community want to kind of lower the rates of heart disease in our community, what we need to do is recognize those things that are really impacting our heart health uh, and, and take actions and measures to counteract that. So one, getting an accurate family history, two, reducing the, the salt intake, and three, reducing those the, the fat intake that everybody that's cholesterol, that's processed foods. And I know that's easier said than done. So don't get me wrong, I'm not being cavalier, but those are the things that we can control. We can control what we put in our mouth and we definitely can control how much we exercise, we do or don't exercise. And if we can really take more control over those things, we'll have less opportunities and we won't have to engage in healthcare as much as even if we don't want to, because we'll be happy and healthier and living healthier uh, with regards to our hearts. Well, well, there was no major uh, procedure, no major um, medication. We're just shouting from the rooftops that heart disease is still is what's killing us. Yes. I mean, COVID is what's disturbing us, but heart disease is what's killing us. And what you said is great, great value is that you can control some of these dynamics by doing the things that you know to do. And this ain't no new information. I mean, every time we talk about these things, we act like this is new information. You know you can't be overweight. You know that you got to know your numbers and control your blood pressure. You know you have to exercise. And so consequently, we just shot from the rooftops to, um, to the acknowledgement that these things are still a problem. Uh, and let's not get lost in the shuffle of other things. Yes. Uh, let's move down to the area of asthma. Uh, you know, I, I, it's one of the biggest disappointments in my career that I, the asthma statistics have not changed dramatically over the last 40 years, uh, maybe more than 40, but I don't like to think about that. But in any event, when I first started in practice, black people still had the large, black women still had the highest mortality rates. A black child was three times more likely to die from asthma than other children. And even though we made all these advances, those numbers are essentially still the same. I think one of the problems that we have is that uh, we don't quite understand the disease and we have to understand it in, a con in basically two contexts. One is that it is a inflammatory disease. That means just like you have an inflammation in the knee, inflammation in the muscle, you have inflammation in the lung. And that inflammation causes the release of chemicals. That chemicals causes the airway to close down. And that, and once that airway closes down, then you start to have the symptoms that you live with with asthma. Now, one of the main problems that we see in our community is the overutilization of the drug that opens the airway, which is albuterol. Albuterol is not a treatment for asthma. Albuterol is a treatment for the symptoms of asthma. And we've come a long way. We've come and understanding that. And so that we have drugs now that, that reduce the inflammatory response, the immune response. Uh, now, most of you who have serious asthma have been used to using prednisone to kind of bail you out of bad situations. Mm -hmm. Prednisone is a drug that suppresses the inflammatory response. But now they've got these new drugs. I mean, these brand new drugs called biologics that go yeah. right at the chemicals released by those cells. And these biologics are extremely important for the quality of life for those of you who have serious, life-threatening, intractable asthma, who've almost given up hope that anything can be done. Not only have you given up hope, but your doctors have given up hope. 
So we want you to understand that, that there's just still new stuff out there, things that can be done to patients with asthma. Yes, you have to avoid the triggers. Yes, you have to take your medicine on a regular basis. Yes, you have to see your doctor and get some measurements. But we know now that for those patients, when all that has failed, when you've given up and your doctor's given up, these biologics are life-saving. So if you don't remember anything about from this program, remember if you have asthma, if you know somebody that's suffering from asthma, if you have a child in your home that has asthma, you need to be asking their doctor, asking your doctor about biologics. If you are just going in there and they're refilling your prescription for albuterol, they're doing you a disservice. There are better medications out there that are more effective, longer lasting, and can help you go further and further between the, the time where you need albuterol. If you're using albuterol as your primary treatment, you're really doing yourself a disservice and your doctor is doing you a disservice if he does not talk to you, he or she does not talk to you about uh, adding medication that's gonna have a longer, more impact on your asthma. Yeah, no, no question. Uh, and usually the way these things work, uh, you know, there are about four or five steps, uh, Mr. Dean, above albuterol that you can take to control your asthma. I mean, so most of you stop at step one, which is just albuterol. Uh, right. But there are other inhaled corticosteroid combination medicines, all kinds of other things. We, we have a site called African-Americans with Asthma. We want you to kind of touch into that site because we have on that site some of the latest information about it. But there's no reason now for one, every, every day, 10 people in this country die from asthma, disproportionately mm. African-Americans. All of the things that we can do now, these are unnecessary deaths. So if you and your, if your children's missing school, you're in the emergency room, then you're doing something wrong. If your doctor can't help you, change doctors. But I think, <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we just don't have that many specialists in our communities, but still, you need to know what's available, and you stick with us, and we'll make sure you have that information. Absolutely. And finally, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, cancer. Uh, the statistics came out last week uh, on cancer. The good news is that uh, cancer deaths are down like 33%. The bad news is that African Americans are dying more than anybody else. Let's focus on the time that's left on two cancers. One is prostate cancer, and the other is breast cancer. In the area of prostate cancer, uh, obviously, you got to know the steps now. You got to know when to get um, get your the, the measurements you need. Obviously, the PSA. What's new about things now is they they've gotten rid of the digital rectal. So for those mm -hmm. of you enjoying that digital rectal, you got to go somewhere else because the digital <laughs> rectal is gone. Now we know that not only is the digital rectal gone, these blind biopsies are not the way to go either. Right. So once you were in high PSA, then they would take you in the operating room and stick a needle in various parts of your prostate. That was never a safe procedure. Uh, many side effects from that. But now you can demand an MRI to try and look for where your cancer is. Uh, and you don't need to have those blind needle biopsies anymore. The MRI is now the gold standard for biopsies. So if your PSA is up and they're looking for your uh, cancers, black male, ask for the PSA. One of the things that comes out, it's come out uh, not only just in cancer, but prostate cancer, but in breast cancer as well, is that if African-Americans are given the same diagnostic 
uh, uh, procedures. They are treated exactly the same. They're given the same options for therapy, given the same therapy when it's indicated that sometimes our statistic is not only not bad, not as bad, but better. And so consequently, you need to know these things. One other thing I want to say about this is colon cancer. We now know they've changed the screening criteria for colon cancer. It used to be that they wanted you to have a, a, a colonoscopy uh, after the age of 50. And now they've moved that down to 45 and about to, down to move it down to 40 because they noticed, especially in our communities, that there were too many patients whose cancer started at between 40 and 50. And so now the, the recommendations are that we start, you guys start surveying things for colon cancer between 40 and 45. Uh, so that I think that's something you need to keep up with. And finally, with breast cancer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Keep going. Keep going. No, no. I'm just saying with breast cancer, it does appear that African-American women don't get the same level of diagnostic or therapeutic care. Uh, I mean, and that's, that's a consistent theme. They don't get mammograms. Sometimes they get mammograms. They're not told about mammograms, what the mammogram is, or they're reluctant to go and get these mammograms, or they're not recommended. You need to know what the mammogram criterias are. Any one of these cancers, the earlier you make the diagnosis, the more likely you are to be able to handle it. They're from the, every day, there are new therapies for cancer. But if you wait till it's too late because you didn't get either your PSA, you didn't get your colonoscopy, you didn't get your breast mammogram, uh, then that's, that's on you. And so we have to keep crying from the rooftops know what your criteria. Don't wait for your doctor to tell you. If he says you don't need something, you read something and it was, no, no, no. I'm sorry, I want to get this now. You need to know what the criteria are because the system may not tell you. And we've demonstrated that, talked about that, that you need to know the numbers. It's true not only for cancer, but other things we'll talk about in, in a subsequent program. So if you know what your numbers are, you do what you're supposed to do, your chances of surviving cancer are better now than ever. Yeah, so a, a couple of things uh, we want to point out with, with regards to this. So your PSA, that number should be below four. Now, if your number is below four, but you had a significant jump from one year to the next, you might want to request that MRI, that prostate MRI that Dr. Lenore has been referring to. So you can get an MRI, it's not as invasive as a biopsy, it's not as blind as that initial blind biopsy. So you get, and they can see if there's any type of lumps on the prostate, and if they see that, then they can go through and be a more and do a more targeted biopsy to see if that lumps of those, if there's any lumps, if they are cancerous. So that's number one. So ask for that MRI. If your doctor is not telling you about it, you might need to either get a new urologist or ask them directly. Say, why haven't you offered up the MRI? Number two, when you're talking about breast cancer, black women. Uh, have shown to have denser breasts, up to 33% denser breasts. What does that mean? That means that the traditional mammogram may come, results may come back in, inconclusive because the machine cannot see throughout the breast to, on, a, on a traditional mammogram. If that happens, if it comes back inconclusive, do not be satisfied with that. Ask for a 3D mammogram. That's what you should be asking for, a 3D mammogram, which can really get the whole picture of the breast to see if there's any lumps or if there are any cancerous cells going uh, going on in there. With regards to the colonoscopy, there's three different things that you can do. You could do one of those home kits, right, where you 
take a small brush and 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 you, the little piece you, you mean a little dancing a little color guard, little color guard. You could do your home kit and send that in. Uh, I think that's a uh, the the home kit. The brush is uh, you have to do that on an annual basis. If you send them a whole stool sample in a bag in a box. That is a th that's good for three years. And if you go in and get the colonoscopy procedure done, which is very easy, it's an outpatient procedure now, that is good for 10 years. But you must start, especially if you have a family history. So knowing your family history is very important. And please understand that what we talked about on earlier in this program, racism plays a role in all of this, right? So them not offering those procedures, whether it's the 3D mammogram or the MRI, there could be some bias component that is playing in that and they could be sending you off, but you have to engage, control what you can control. And that is getting your labs and getting your tests done and your screenings done annually. So therefore you'll have a better chance of the survival that Dr. Lenore is talking so, uh, you know, unfortunately, Mr. Ellison, you know, we have a commitment to our audience not to go too long, uh, but we still have <laughs> things to talk about. Uh, certainly, we I need to talk about the, the mental health issues. We need to talk about what's happening with HIV and AIDS. We need to talk yeah. about what's happening in, in, in liver and, and kidney diseases. And so consequently, we'll have uh, other programs uh, in this series. Now, I want to tell our audience, you're not going to get this information anywhere else not on CNN, not on MSNBC. They, they, got, they got what's on BET or MTV, one of those, yeah. You're not going to get this information. And we're going to make sure you know that we're giving it. Uh, so we want you to join us uh, every week. Next week, we'll, say we'll talk about three additional diseases and finish the series with three more. Uh, so we want you to uh, share this with your friends, uh, and we want you to join us again. Be on the lookout for some. We've got some exciting news coming into the Doc and Dean family. Uh, uh, so we've got some some exciting offerings that make it easier for you to digest all this wonderful content that we're going to be providing for you. So be on the lookout for a, a, a special announcement coming from Doc and Dean very very soon. If you enjoyed our show, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are delivered directly to you every week, as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts. Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, listening to our show is as simple as telling your Alexa, Siri, or Google to play the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Take care, everyone.